reports that say there's that 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 something hasn't happened are always interesting to me. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Please no flash photography throughout our program. The known unknowns. That is to say, we know there's some things we do not know. Live from the Overlook Hotel. Hello, everybody. It's the Known Unknowns, and it's Halloween. We are a podcast about all things strange, Fordian, unknown, unsolved, and just plain weird and sometimes a little scary. Oh, spooky. Uh, My name is Peter. I'm joined by Steven. Hello. And he's about to tell me about something that, well, I know some things about. I definitely have no idea what he's talking about. Peter, I hope you recognize that little Mm. bit I played there. Mm, I do. I do recognize that little bit you played right there. Peter, how much can you read into the symbolism of a movie before you start going crazy yourself? (laughs) I would say not like four, four, <laughs> four, four, what? That's my answer. It's four. <laughs> uh, as if you couldn't guess by the, our intro music here, Peter listeners, we're talking about the shining today, Peter, uh, listeners. And this one is a doozy. <laughs> and before we really begin, I'm going to give a spoiler warning for a movie that's been out for 40 uh, three years. I'd suggest watching the movie before you listen to this episode. If, if you can handle it. But I'm going to try to make it not necessary. But Peter, you've seen this movie, right? I have. I finished it this morning. Uh, yeah. At Yeah. Peter watched it on Friday the 13th or tried to watch it on I, Friday yeah, the 13th. Yeah, I started it on Friday the 13th. And then right <laughs> at the point where people started going crazy, the internet went out. For spooky. like nine hours. <laughs> Peter, before we begin, what do you think of that opening music of the the Shining and our podcast? There, Peter, it's it's good stuff. It's very it's it is perfect for setting a spooky like the spooky tone creepy scene. Yeah, uh, it's often mistakenly thought to be a complete original uh, composition mm. for the film. However, it's actually remastered from something. Peter, you're the music guy. You should maybe recognize what this is. Have you ever heard of the Diaz Eerie before? I don't think so. No. The D- the Diaz Eerie is a 13th century Latin hymn about God's day of wrath. Ah, <laughs> uh, during which the faithful are saved and you know, the rest are doomed to eternal flames. Yep. It's originally performed during Christian masses for the dead. Mm. But by the 19th century, Peter, uh, it's kind of evolved to encompass the forces of evil. Okay. And D.S. Eerie shows up in almost every movie that you can possibly imagine. It's kind of the Wilhelm scream of Mm. soundtracks. It's just everywhere, all over the place. Uh, John Williams used it in Star Wars. The, yeah. The, okay. These these notes. Uh, it was uh, the main theme of Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. It was uh, in the Lion King, 
and Sweeney Todd. So any movie where there's some evil stuff going on, yeah, you can find Dia Theory. But it's possibly most famously known for here in The Shining. The Shining intro. And on to The Shining itself. Peter, what do you think of this movie? What do you think of this movie? It was good. It was actually really good. I... For those of you who are not familiar with my history with horror films, I do <laughs> not watch scary movies. I hate scary movies. I once slept at, when I was a young lad. I slept sure. with a loaded gun for a week <laughs> after watching a horror movie. I don't do it, but well, I'm, this was not a horror movie and it was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm the exact opposite, Peter. This is my favorite movie of all time. I've, really? I've watched it. I've watched it countless times. I watch it every year. Okay. I just watched it also on Friday the Thirteenth and kind of Excellent. solidarity for you, Peter. Excellent. Did uh, your came, Did your internet go out? It did not. Mm. It did not. Mm. This movie came out, like I mentioned, forty three years ago, Peter, in nineteen eighty, based on the nineteen seventy seven novel by horror Stephen master King. Stephen King. Uh, it stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall. Uh, Scatman Mathers and Danny Lloyd uh, as a family who are all, well, not Scatman. He's not part of the family, <laughs> but as a family who are all snowbound in the Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies over a long winter. Mm-hmm. The hotel is one of the evil places in the world, Peter, and it's haunted by a number of spirits that eventually drive Jack mad and then attempt to murder his wife and son, who has a psychic ability called Shining. The Shining. Yep. Peter, probably more than any single movie in history, viewers and researchers, I hope you can hear <laughs> the quotations that I've, uh, I'm giving right here. Very have, heavy air quotes. Have begun to find hidden meanings in the film and has probably since become the most analyzed film of all time. And that might have to be because of how insane the director, Stanley Kubrick, was. What do you know about Stanley Kubrick, Peter? Uh, Can you well, name another film that he's done? I know that he's famous, but I could not tell you yeah. another. Like, I know that he's a very, very famous director. Well, you're you're a music guy. You're not a... Movie guy. No, I am not a movie guy. I, in fact, grew up without a television. That's that's very telling, Peter. Every word that comes out of your mouth explains everything <laughs> a little more. From the 1960s, Stanley Kubrick, who was based in London uh, and known for his reserved nature, produced a series of straight-up classic films, all on the list of some of the best films of all time. Uh, these include Dr. Strangelove, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, A Clockwork Orange, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, and The Shining. I have now seen one of those movies, but prior to Friday the 13th, had seen none of them. You could probably watch, I can imagine you could watch all those and not be upset, Peter. Most of those are thrillers, right? Yes, yeah. Like, or, I know, or sci-fi I've, films. Yep. I've, yeah, well, 2001 is a sci-fi film, but it's still yep. a thriller. Oh, yes. Uh, they're all marked by his trademark kind of dark, kind of dark humor, his wit. He's very intelligent. Uh, Is he the guy who invented the like tilted head stare thing to show craziness? 
I don't. Is that him? I don't know. Did, didn't like all grunge rock people do that, Peter? That crazy head delt. Well, yeah, thing? I th- I think it's called the Kubrick stare. That's a good question. I'm not a cinematographer, Peter. Because I well, uh, I I know of it because of new metal music. Oh, so I, I, Jonathan Taylor did it all the time. <laughs> I believe it. I believe uh, it's called the Kubrick stare. Peter, it's safe to say that Stanley Kubrick influenced almost every filmmaker that's come since him. Mm-hmm. But Peter, as the years passed, and just like George R. R. Martin, he started to take longer and longer between his films. Ah. And this was due to Kubrick's increasingly obsessive need for perfection with every single aspect of his film, every single shot of his projects. Okay. He spent years in preparation for filming uh, and took uh, story and plots and kind of made them secondary to what he believed to be uh, the important parts of the movie, though, making everything look perfect. Right. Uh, Peter... His 1968 masterpiece, 2001, A Space Odyssey. You've mm-hmm. heard of this film. Peter. I have. Uh, often features in critics' lists of the greatest films ever made. And it's all about, uh, no spoilers here, Peter, but all about human evolution, maybe being done by aliens. But we mm-hmm. know that to be a fact from the show, Peter. We do. We yes, do. We yep. do. Uh, and, but it became, it set a new... Uh, standard for special effects of the time, Peter. And, you know, it kind of stands up above other movies for the period because of how much it kind of delves into philosophy and art. And, Peter, it was such a big hit that many people were puzzled why, right after that, he decided to follow up and choose to adopt, uh, adapt what seemed to be a schlocky horror novel by pop horror writer Stephen King. You've you've obviously seen The Shining now, Peter, I but have. you've never read the book. No. No, I have not. Uh, Peter, The Shining, the, the novel, and, and the movie, obviously, well, uh, yeah. revolves around a writer, Jack Torrance, uh, who descends into madness while serving as a winter caretaker of a secluded hotel. Correct. Uh, we find out that the previous caretaker, Peter succumb to insanity of uh, violently killing his family at the, the hotel. Mm-hmm. And Jack's son has paranormal powers, the shining and begins to witness visions of these horrifying events. Mm-hmm. And as Jack Torrance faces the eerie supernatural entities in the hotel, he begins to lose his mental stability and becomes plagued by disturbing visions and eventually completely loses his sanity mm-hmm. until he tries to kill his family with an axe. Yes. For those of you that haven't actually seen the movie, Peter, for those familiar with the book, it's clear why Stephen King hates this movie. And oh boy, does he hate it. Is it, is it a little different than, uh, the, yeah, than the book? Yeah, Peter. The movie only lightly touches on the core storyline of the novel and introduces numerous often subtle plot deviations for apparently no reason. Okay. Uh, and many of Stephen King's underlying themes of the novel were omitted. Right. And other things were added, uh, like the 
the elevator is not in the the the, the famous the elevator famous scene elevator scene is not in the book. The 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 hedge maze is not in the book. The twins are not in the book. Uh, so That's, everything you associate with the shining, yeah, yeah, is not in the book. <laughs> and I would imagine that all of my questions that after watching the movie that was like that didn't make. Like where did where did this come from? Where does sure. that go? Are probably all in the book. It could be Peter. I mean, I don't want to devolve this into a shining question and answers right now, but it could be. It uh, that's my assumption. That's usually how these <laughs> things go. Like, oh no, it's in the book. Uh, in the film, Peter Jack's sense of not being entirely mentally stable is evident right from the start of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh. And while the movie does talk about Jack's battle with alcohol, right, it doesn't nearly delve into how addiction affects someone like it does in the book. Okay. Uh, because the book is really all about Stephen King's battle with addiction. Oh. And how he felt it might drive his family, might break up his family. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. In addition, the film doesn't even mention Jack's particular upbringing himself when he no, was a child, but with his abusive parents. Uh, and, you know, you don't have the same empathic connection to Jack as you do in the book. Right. In the uh, movie, it's just like, oh, this dude's probably going to kill like, his family from the, yeah. from the 30 seconds into the movie. You're like, this dude's going to try to kill his family. This is a nut. And The Shining movie diverges from the book in a, the treatment and presence of the supernatural. In the novel, Peter, ghosts are fucking everywhere. Yeah. It's, there, there's like an animated fire hose that tries to strangle Danny. Uh, they animate the shrubs and try, they try to eat people. Mm-hmm. It's undeniable that there's ghosts everywhere and spirits. But in contrast, Peter... There's hardly anything of that really in the movie. Right. In, in, in fact, Peter, they barely even touch on Danny's abilities. Well, they, they, they do. They do a bunch of that. But I'm talking about the actual haunting in the, the hotel, because how much of what happened in the hotel can you attribute to actually happening and not being someone's imagination or yeah, there's like going crazy. There's two one things I can there, think of. There's uh, one, there's one big one that yep. uh, has to basically be a, a, a poltergeist doing it. It has to happen for the which movie, it, to which work. is when Jack is locked inside of the, mm-hmm. the, the cooler and somehow it unlocks from the outside. Yep. Uh, the other one is when the ball rolls towards Danny, but we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a little bit here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but those are really the only two things that might that even hint that there might actually be ghosts, and it's not just cabin fever, right? That driving someone insane. Yep. <sighs> Peter, so you like this movie? I like this movie. I did. It was very it's generally good. regarded as a good movie. But it was not when it came out, Peter. Really? Initially, it was hated mm. and met with extremely lukewarm reactions in uh, 1980. Okay. In fact, the movie itself and Shelley Duvall won Razzies oh, for no. the, being the worst movies of the year. Uh, but they did later retract 
Shelley Duvall's Ravi when it okay. came out, uh, kind of maybe how she was treated on the set. Yeah. To try to find that perfection that mm-hmm. Kubrick thought. <sighs> but Peter, it's now, now it's hailed by critics as being what you seek in the suspenseful genre of horror. Yeah. Uh, Along with that, Peter, there's been a surge of interest in deciphering what the heck is going on Uh in The Shining. Uh Uh-oh. And, Peter, we're going to talk about... Are we about about to get into some uh, D-word stuff? The the theories? Yeah. We're going to talk about wild theories. Excellent. Uh, Peter, beyond the remnants of Stephen King's original story of The Shining... Mm-hmm. There looks there lurks the story that Kubrick wanted to tell, and uh, the looming question is, Peter, what message was Stanley Kubrick truly trying to tell us in The Shining? Okay. In the quest to understand The Shining, uh, many theories have surfaced. We can't talk about all of them, Peter, but uh, some prominent ones. Uh, about the film is that the film is really about the massacre of native Americans. While another theory posits that it's actually about the Holocaust. Oh, okay. And, uh, an even crazier one, Peter talks about how the true essence of the shining is only uncovered when you play the movie, both forward and backwards at the exact same time. Oh, overlapping them together. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, Peter, I don't know if fascinating is the right word for that theory, but <laughs> the real question is, Peter, is why? Why would Stanley Kubrick choose to embed these themes covertly within a ghost story of a haunted hotel? I well, mean, obviously it, to give nerds in the late 20th well, century some just something <laughs> to do. Yeah, I mean, Peter, if he wanted to, he could have... If you wanted to talk about the Holocaust or Native American history, uh, he could have just done it. He could have just done movies about that. Yeah. But maybe, Peter, listeners, maybe, just maybe, he wanted to tell us something. Something secret. Mm. Something he would need to hide in Mm. plain sight inside of what seems to be a simple horror movie. Peter, perhaps Stanley Kubrick was hiding the biggest secret in the history of mankind that he, Stanley Kubrick, is Jesus Christ. No, no, no. Have you seen what he looks like here? He looks kind of like a Jesus. (laughs) Does he? I don't think I've ever Uh, seen a picture of him. You should look up a picture of him, Peter. But Stanley Kubrick aided and abetted the American government in faking the moon landing. Oh, boy. Oh, Peter. I'm going to need to see your sources on that one. Well, okay, we'll dive, into, <laughs> we'll dive into this here, Peter. All right. Uh, film director Jay Wiener talks about this concept in a documentary called Kubrick's Odyssey in 2011. They made, they made a documentary about this. Oh, Peter, there's so many documentaries. We'll talk about a couple of them. Okay. Uh, this movie came out in 2000. This documentary came out in 2011. Mm-hmm. 
and we're in which he presents this theory uh, that this has been around for a long time, but it builds upon an existing conspiracy narrative that talks about how NASA approached Stanley Kubrick during the making of 2001 in the mid-60s. And the reason that they approached Kubrick was to assist in creating fake Apollo 11 footage as a backup plan if the astronauts failed to reach the moon. Okay. And Wiener posits that Kubrick, utilizing those amazing special effects from 2001, which are actually pretty good. They they are for the time. I've heard. I've heard for the time. uh, He would, he would like die of a heart attack. If he saw what we were doing now in movies, Peter. Right. But he used that knowledge to create a counterfeit moon landing, Peter. Okay. And because he had to do this and it had to be broadcast to everyone, Peter, Kubrick uh, was stricken with remorse and he hated himself for deceiving the American people. Mm. So he embedded a covert admission of his guilt in The Shining. Oh, boy, Peter. Okay. Uh, Peter, Peter, you don't really need to believe that the Apollo landing footage was faked or that Kubrick was a mastermind behind this fact to think that he incorporated allusions to this fact in the film. He might have had different reasons for doing so instead of actually faking the moon landing. Mm-hmm. But the real debate is whether these references truly exist in the film or merely the product of overzealous interpretations uh, due to his intricate and intense perfection right. of his directorial approach. Because right. everything that's in a, in the film is because everything he that... he wanted it there. Yeah, exactly. Peter, there's one reference to Apollo 11 that no one can dispute because it's right right there in the film. It's on the sweater. It is. It's the sweater, Peter. It And Peter, this is not in the book. And mm-hmm. it's an intentional, intentional addition personally directed by Kubrick. So he wanted this in the film, but we don't know why. This is what you mentioned, Peter. The It's on the, the sweater. Yep. About an hour into the film, Danny is playing on the famous carpet of the yep. hotel, and a ball rolls toward, towards him. And he looks up and then stands up, drawn to room 237. Mm-hmm. But as he stands up, it's revealed that he's wearing a sweater with the Apollo 11 rocket on it, as if it's taking off from the ground. That is a take. Yeah, that's that's the take. It's in the film. You can't, I, you can't even be making that up. That it's it's there. Well, what's in the film is that a boy wearing a sweater that says Apollo 11 stands yep. up. And Peter, that's in the ad, film. That is in the film. Advocates of the conspiracy theory see this scene as just the tip of the iceberg. I did define it as the most overt among a long series of Apollo-rated hints scattered throughout The Shining, which we're going to talk about, Peter. Okay. Uh, and they argue that this is very typical for Kubrick uh, because he weaves a lot of symbols into his movies. 2001 Space Odyssey... It's all philosophical, clockwork orange, satirical of the times. And Peter, 
the eyes wide shut is basically about the Illuminati. I don't know if you. Okay. It's, it's what the movie's about. Okay. Every detail in a Kubrick film is meticulously placed and never coincidental. The, for an example, Peter, the scene where uh, Jack is walking up the stairs and Wendy is swinging the bat at him mm-hmm. near the towards the end of the movie. They filmed that 147 times until it was just the way that Kubrick wanted. Wow. And the scene where Scatman Mathers, uh, the Halloran, was killed by Jack when he gets to the hotel. Mm-hmm. They made that that poor 70-year-old man do that scene 40 times. Get hit until in the they, chest with an axe. Until it was just how he times. liked it. Okay. Wow. Oh, Peter. You want to get to this evidence? This evidence now. I, I would love to get to some evidence. Oh, Peter Kubrick devoted an astonishing thirteen months to making The Shining, which is an almost okay. unheard of amount of time to spend making a movie of this escape in time. It's a long time. Yeah, and most of this time was spent at Elstree Studios in England. Okay. Uh, where the expensive set of the Overlook Hotel was constructed. If you this movie was directed by anyone else besides Kubrick, we probably wouldn't be here talking about this. Mm. So we have to wonder if any detail means something. Mm-hmm. Even if it means nothing in reality. With that said, let's get to Billy Gibson. Okay. Peter, do you know who Billy Gibson is? Uh, what? Is he... She... She, she, this woman had, she was cast as the terrifying old ghost woman that Jack Nicholson's character encounters in the bathroom. Yep. You know, the the new dead woman. Yeah. Uh, Whoever she was, Peter, Billy Gibson, she wasn't an actress. Oh. Her sole credit on IMDb is The Shining. And... There are rumors that suggest that she might have just been an an elderly old friend of Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. We just don't know, Peter. He was like, hey, do you want to take all your clothes off and be in a movie? Yeah, but Peter, this is where the rabbit hole begins, Peter. Okay. Get this. There's another actor named Billy Gibson. Mm-hmm. Bill named Bill Gibson. Okay. And this actor has one... Contributation in IMDb. Okay. Do you want to know what that that was, Peter? What was it? He directed the 1969 official documentary on the moon landings called Footprints on the Moon, Apollo 11. So... Uh, Yeah. And we're sure he's not just some NASA employee. But the point is that the, the... a woman that has the, is in the movie has uh-huh. the same name as this person who directed the moon landing documentary. Oh. And so we think that the meticulous and horrifying to work with director yep. chose, chose an actress an old... based on her name yep. as opposed to her ability to act in his film. Exactly. Excellent. Very <sighs> believable. Yeah. I love it. He, Peter. We nerd the one who we've talked about a little earlier suggests that Kubrick represents both Danny and Jack in the film. Uh, Danny as a young, gifted film director, symbolizing the creative brilliance of Kubrick, 
who was approached by NASA to undertake the colossal task of simulating the moon landing. Mm-hmm. While on the other hand, Jack, uh, who, you know, a struggling writer spiraling into insanity, embodies the personal torment that resulted from Kubrick's involvement in the deception. Okay. And uh, Peter, I don't know if you paid a lot of attention to this movie because I told you to pay a lot of attention during you this movie. You did tell me to do that. There's a lot of mirrors in the film. There are several uh, mirrors in the film. In fact, most, and almost every time that Jack is talking to Grady or one of the, the spirits in the, the movie, there's a mirror in the scene. Yes, that's true. Uh, a reflection of mm-hmm. Kubrick's back to himself. Peter, this theory just keeps going and going. And The Shining serves as a parallel narrative to the Apollo program, which you can tell by an early scene where Jack is being interviewed for the job mm-hmm. uh, by Stuart Ullman, the, yep. the director. Widener believes that Ullman symbolizes John F. Kennedy who was the leader of the USA when the Apollo program start. Uh, In addition to just looking like JFK because of the hair and the the dress. Uh, In the backdrop of the office. Did he look like JFK? Oh, he looked like JFK. Look at that again sometime. I'm going to believe, I have to believe you on that one. You're going to have to believe me a lot of what I say in this episode, Peter. Good, 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 good. In the backdrop of this scene behind Altman, there's a window cell. Yep. on which a statue of an eagle is positioned. Mm. Uh, Peter, do you know what the significance of eagle was to the Apollo program? It was American. Besides that, yes, Peter. Eagle was also the moniker for the lunar module. Oh, okay. And this scene was alluding to a pivotal moment when Kubrick was approached by the U.S. government to fabricate the Apollo 11 footage by taking on the job. Was it now? Of, yep, because he took on the job of caretaker, just like he took on the job of making the lunar landing footage, Peter. I have a question. Yep. Does the gentleman who made this documentary know that this film is based on a book where the person accepts the job? But, Peter, you remember this whole this whole theory posits that Kubrick took on this project because he wanted to tell this story. So, yeah. Uh, Okay. Okay. Uh, Peter, do you know what U.S. project immediately preceded the Apollo program and was like a stepping stone to the Apollo program? Uh, Operation Paperclip. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Honestly, Peter, uh, the, the shuttle should have had a swastika on it. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah. would have gone to the moon, but that's not the project I'm talking about. I'm talking about Project Gemini. Oh, my other guess was Apollo 10. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, what do you know about the zodiac symbol Gemini? Well, it's mine. Yeah, so you know. So the symbol is a Gemini. Peter, the <laughs> zodiac symbol of Gemini is twins. Oh. Okay. Uh, twins, Peter. Mm-hmm. In The Shining, if you take Jack and Danny as symbols for the Apollo program, mm-hmm. it's fitting that the man that was before Jack, so the project before Jack of mm-hmm. the Apollo program, 
was accompanied by twin daughters who can signify I, Can I interject here? Gemini. Yeah, Peter. They specifically say in the movie that they're not twins. Peter, they're, they, they're twins. They, they say their ages. He said he had an eight and a ten year old daughter. But I'm gonna get to, I'm gonna get to that right here, Peter. But it it says Peter, that's the I'm dialogue gonna, of the movie is they're not Peter, twins. Peter, let, let me I give me a moment here, Peter. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I, I'm gonna solve that problem here, Peter. Okay. He was Peter, lying. The possibility of this being more than a coincidence gains weight when you get to the change that Kubrick made from the original book. The novel does feature the two sisters of different ages. Yes. But Kubrick intentionally cast identical twins in the movie, Lisa and Louise Burns, for the roles. Right. So they were played by twins. Okay. Representing Gemini, the preceding project to the Apollo program. Does that make sense, Peter? Yeah, I'm going to okay. say yes. <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't get easier from here. <laughs> no. We just Peter, we got to keep this thing going. <laughs> Jack's spiraling insanity is highlighted in probably one of the most iconic scenes of the movie. When Wendy stumbles upon the his typewriter. Right. And sees that he's been typing the repetitive line, all work and no play. Makes Jack a doll boy. Mm-hmm. And a fun aside pages here, Peter. Pages and pages and pages and pages. Dude, he actually made people on the film type out all those pages. That's not CGI or any sort oh, of I'm, fakery, yeah. Peter. I mean, yeah. It's literally 19, hundreds of pages. There was not really a good way to fake and, that. And then he didn't fake it by having like only two words on one page. Each page was full. Yeah, and they words. flipped through and it's so not many copy full pages. It's not copy and Each pasted. Each one's different. It's, yep. Yeah, it's unreal. Peter. Uh, I remember another, watching that another, scene and being like, holy shit, someone had to sit and type Another all aside of that. here, Peter. They probably murdered their family. Another aside here. Aside from the aside, Peter. Whenever Jack is typing in the film, uh, he made sure to have uh, Jack typing all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Really? Because you could, there are people who type for a living. Right. Say that you can tell what keystroke is being pressed when you listen to a typewriter. So he oh. wanted that extra authenticity. Gotcha. In the film. But Peter, back to the theory of Apollo mm-hmm. 11 here. On the vintage Adler typewriter that was used in the film, the lowercase L. And the number one are not only indistinguishable, many forms of the typewriter, they share the same key. Ah. And so, Peter, when you type all, you can also get A11. Oh, Apollo 11. 11. Bingo. Now, see, now you're getting into it, Peter. You're, you're understanding. Yeah. Uh-huh. And this wasn't. He chose this model of typewriter purposely, Peter. This wasn't, again, willy-nilly choice by Kubrick. He selected this typewriter. Are we sure, though? Facts. Yep. And then, you know, Peter, uh, we've already brought it up, but the the centerpiece of the theory is when Danny 
you know, symbolizes the optimistic face of Kubrick, uh, is shown playing on the floor of the mm-hmm. hotel's intricate hallway. And Peter, the 70s carpet that he's playing on, uh, with its hexagonal design, almost perfectly resembles the aerial imagery of the Saturn V rocket's launch platform of the same shape. Does it now? Indeed. Okay. Uh, Peter, this isn't any mere random wardrobe choice either. Uh, this sequence undeniably mirrors Apollo 11 taking off of the platform. Why? So, it feels out of place. If this isn't a nod towards this theory, Peter, it seems almost out of place within the, the broader narrative of The Shining. Does it, though? Uh, why? While people like you and Poo Poo Peter <laughs> might argue that maybe it was purely done for aesthetic appeal, such an assumption would contrast with the meticulous and deliberate nature of Kubrick's insanity. Okay. Uh, because, you know, Peter, after he stands, he kind of has this weird way of walking. Did you notice that too, Peter? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of reminiscent of an astronaut walking on the moon. Heading towards room 237, Peter. Okay. So if we if we take this theory to its logical conclusion, mm-hmm. that means room 237 might very well reference the moon. So what is the significance I, of 237? Logical conclusion Peter? is uh, is a little bit of a stretch, I think, but <laughs> roll with it, Peter. Roll with it. We'll just keep going. Uh Peter, this is one of those cha- seemingly random changes that Kubrick made from the novel. Because in the book, the room is numbered 217. 217. Oh, and you changed it to 237. Yep. Uh, Peter. Now, why it, is that, Stevie? Because, according to this theory, the he changed the room number to 237 is because the average distance from Earth to the sun, uh, to, to the moon, Earth to the moon. Mm-hmm. Is two hundred and thirty seven hundred thousand miles. Okay, and that that is a fact. No, that's actually wrong. Oh, but because some poopers like to point out that the actual distance, Peter, is approximately two hundred and thirty eight hundred thousand miles. Okay, but the reference isn't entirely wrong, Peter. Because a number of older scientific references and textbooks, which Kubrick did consult during the movie, uh, do indeed cite the moon's distance as 237,000 miles. Okay. So when you say he did consult, According is that to the a theory. fact? According okay. to the theory. Perfect. 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 Yeah. But <laughs> the fact that they do exist and... There are do, do, there do say two hundred and thirty seven saying that yeah yes yep uh, moreover Peter Isaac Asimov the also famous sci fi author correct uh, wrote a, a nonfiction article about the coming decades in space mm-hmm. in nineteen seventy uh, also used the same distance in okay. his. Famous work here, Peter, which we okay. know that he did read. That's a fact. Right. 
well, we know Allegedly. that he was capable of reading. Yeah, that he had the opportunity to read it. <laughs> yeah. Inside room 237, Peter, we never see what actually happens when Danny goes into the room. Oh, this is We true. only witness what happens when he comes out. And he's shaken. It's the aftermath. His sweater is damaged and he doesn't talk. You know, for a while after that, Peter. Mm-hmm. It bruises on his neck. Uh, because this aligns with the theory, Peter, suggesting that Danny's experience mirrors Kubrick's being deeply affected by the role in the moon landing hoax that he was a changed man after going to the moon. Okay. And it was never the same after it. (sighs) Peter, the shining concludes with one last mysterious nod to the moon theory. And that would be in the film's final scene, the very famous Strange ending to The Shining, Peter. Mm-hmm. We are presented with an old black and white image showing Jack admit amidst a group of revelers on July fourth, nineteen twenty-one. Yep, Peter. See, I notice, did pay attention. Peter, do you notice what Jack's doing in that film? In that picture, he's smiling. He's smiling, uh, but it also he also has the the exact position of a medieval demonic figure of Baphomet. One of his, his right hand is up and his left hand is down. Ah, okay. And you also noticed that he has a mischievous smile, Peter. He does. Yes. Now Baphomet holds significance in Masonic iconography Mm -hmm. and was also, you know, uh, might have been revered by the Knights Templar, or they might have all been bullshit. Impossible to say. Uh, but the most well-known representation of Baphomet Peter is from the 19th century occultist uh, Eliathus Levi, where the goat-headed figure gestures to the moon with one of its hands. Mm. So, Peter... What do you think of the moon theory in The Shining? I hate. I hate being a poo-pooer. <laughs> I do not sure. enjoy my work. Uh, However, sometimes this work must be done. Sometimes I don't, be done, it Peter. all sounds like bullshit to me. This is like one of the dumber things I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, regardless of this might be the dumbest thing you've heard... We've had some dumb things this October, Peter. We've had some stupid stuff come up. It's evident that Kubrick is clearly trying to have some message in The Shining. There's clearly something. Is Strange changes like that are usually for a reason by someone as, as detail-oriented as this. And whatever that message might be, Peter. We no one's got it, it yet. <laughs> oh, oh no! Some people think they. Some people think they've got it. Some people think they've got it. <sighs> Bill Blakemore is an ABC News TV correspondent. Okay, he posits the theory of, about The Shining. According to Bill Blakemore, the film serves as an intentional and intricate metaphor for American history particularly focusing on the genocide of Native Americans. 
Okay. Peter, at first glance, The Shining might seem like a mere horror story set in a haunted Overlook Hotel. You know, featuring Jack Nicholson descending into madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to murder his family. Mm-hmm. The way but, you say that makes it sound like that's not what the movie's about. <laughs> Blake Moore believes that the surface narrative conceals a deeper historical theme. Throughout the film, according to this, this theory, right. Kubrick peppers hints and symbols that point to the Native American genocide, like the famous elevator scene, Peter. So, the elevator okay. scene... When it the, what do elevators do? They go down. Elevators and go up. down, Peter. In but they also go down into and, and up. the soil of America, where there are Native American graves. Well, and causing the blood to spill forth. They did say that it. it was built on a Native American graveyard. Bingo! You got it, Peter. Addition to the the, the hotel literally being built atop a Indian burial ground, Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh. The film also includes strategically placed Calumet baking powder cans. Uh, there with, are several of those. I did notice that. With an Indian chief logo. Yeah. You, you Even you saw those, Peter, and you don't I, notice I anything. Did. I, I noticed nearly nothing. I just noticed them because I remember for probably the first 15 years of my life, my mother had the exact same Seriously? can in the, in the kitchen. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> you... So you're saying your mom's supporting Native American genocide? Drawing awareness. Okay, good, good. Not supporting. Supporting is the wrong <laughs> word for that. <laughs> Partaking. Uh, but yeah, Peter, with ex- there's even explicit references to the hotel being built on an Indian burial right. ground. And they d- they also mentioned when they were building it that the they had to natives fight off attacked attacks. it. Yeah. Uh, Peter, these Calumet baking powder cans make two notable appearances in the movie. Mm-hmm. And each deeply symbolic to this theory. Okay. The first is during Halloran's tour of the dry storage. Yep, when they first pop in there. Yep. Uh, he starts to describe the abundant supplies that they'll have for the entire winter. Mm-hmm. But this is also when he telepathically communicates with Danny offering him ice cream. Right. Uh, and but right behind his, right next to his head, Peter, in that scene, yep, is the single can of Calumet baking powder, right in the in it's the right shot. Right there, that's how I noticed it because it's literally yep. right. It's like front and center. Yes. So, I this I initially actually was like, that's a really ham fisted like branding thing, like. <laughs> Calumet baking soda or baking powder paid them to have their logo up there. But that they didn't. This was one of Kubrick's choices. Okay. In this theory. I don't know if we know that he specifically, you know, actually directed it to be facing this mm-hmm. way, but according to this theory he did. Because, Peter, the 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 open, clear face of the Native American. Uh, and the telepathic exchange represents an honest treaty between Halloran and Danny about a promise kept when Danny receives ice cream mm-hmm. uh, shortly after this scene. Right. And that's when, you know, when he's eating the ice cream, Halloran sheds Explains. light on the shining. Yep. And the theme of the, the, the hotel being, you know, evil. And how he talks about uh, 
during this scene, this scene that places tainted with malevolence often re- re- retain remnants of the darkness. Yes. Like how the echoes of Americans treatment of American Indians might linger on in America. Ah. Even after it happens. Right. They don't, they don't ever really fade away. Did you catch the second time they, they show up, Peter? It was when Jack was in the storage room locked yep. in there. They were behind him when he was trying to break out. Indeed, Peter. He was, or not break out, up, but you, you know what I mean. Get out, yep. He was trapped in the same storage, Peter, by his wife, mm-hmm. by, by Shelley Duvall, and was talking through the door with a ghostly Grady. Yep. In the only paranormal moment in the entire film. Right. The only, like, truly unexplainable yep. paranormal moment. Because the door is locked, and then it's unlocked. Yep. So, as Grady urges Jack to commit violence against his family, the Calumet baking powder cans are right behind Jack right again. Right behind him. There's, like, four right of them. Right behind Jack. Yep. But, Peter, all of them are turned away from Jack and half hidden. You don't mm. see their full face in this. And so, Peter, these cans symbolize the broken treaties between the U.S. government and the Native Americans. Promises made and then brutally violated. Okay. Uh, and just as the treaties were insincere, so is the pact between Grady and Jack. Uh, because Jack thinks the hotel wants him, but the hotel doesn't want Jack. It, it wants the shine from Danny. Mm-hmm. So, Peter, the the very it it couldn't even be more on the nose, Peter. The very name of the hotel is Overlook Hotel, which might hint at America's tendency to overlook uh, its brutal past, right? Especially in regards to its indigenous population. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, hell, the July Fourth happens. Keeps popping up during the movie, right, too. Right. It comes up several times. Yeah. Uh, Blake, Blake Moore, I believe was his name. He emphasizes that the deliberate nature of these choices suggests that Kubrick's film is chosen and done to get us to challenge our complacency in our past. And while the audience can see signs of the Native American influence in the film, they often fail to because there's like no, there's no Native American characters in this film either, Peter. Right. There's one mention, like by yeah. name, of Native Americans, and that's Bingo. it. Go. Uh, eventually, you know, essentially, uh, Kubrick is trying to hold up a mirror to Americans. Again, mirrors all over the film. Uh, to, to try to get us to reflect on our amnesia regarding our violent history in the past. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this theory, Peter? More or less? than This uh, one makes more sense to me because yep. I actually picked up on those themes. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily in the same way, but I did. I, spe- I specifically saw the baking powder. Yep. Like I noticed it. It was very noticeable. It was weirdly noticeable. And again, Kubrick chose this too. If if he didn't want that, that in the shot, you would just reshot the shot. Or if he didn't want it to be a big part of the shot, he would have, there's, he wouldn't have had that. It was literally like, 
oh wow, that's 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 it, the brand. It takes your attention right from that shot. Yeah, it, it does a little bit, or at least it did for me. I I like this too. This seems like something that could have been a sub theme in in the movie too, and it mm-hmm. definitely is. But that's not the only one, Peter. Okay. Michigan-based historian, Professor Joffrey Cox mm. of Albanon College, author of Fake name. Wolf, <laughs> Wolf at the Door, Stanley Kubrick, History, and the Holocaust. Okay. Posits, I think you can tell where this is going here, Peter. That it's all about the Holocaust. Yeah, that it's The Shining is an allegory for the Holocaust, specifically... The final solution, okay, of you know the right. annihilation of the, the Jews. Yep. Because Peter, the film prominently features the number forty-two. Uh, Danny wears a shirt with the number on it. Okay. Uh, I Wendy don't remember strikes- that. He does. It's I, I mean, I, I'm not yep. questioning that it happened. I just, I'm, I do not remember that. Wendy hits Jack exactly 42 times with a bat during throughout the film, and it's worth noting, Peter, that this number has become associated with the Final Solution, which started in 1942. Right, Peter, the typewriter that Jack uses. Is an older typewriter, typewriter. Which you want to guess where they make these? Germany. Germany. Yep. And do you know what "alder" means in German? Elder. Eagle. Oh, okay. And what's the symbol of the Nazi Party? The eagle. Eagle. Yep. Uh, according to Cox, the, the the professor. Right. 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 Uh, this alder typewriter. Get your minds is, out of the gutter. You know. A quote, a German machine pictured to make it a character in the movie. Because how many times, uh, this is not the part of the quotation, but how many part, times in the movie do we just have establishing shots of the typewriter? The typewriter. It happens regularly. It does. And uh, he says that this typewriter represents the bureaucratic, you know, killing machine of mm-hmm. not the Germany, the banality of evil that evil comes to down to a. A typewriter, typewriter where you write an order on and then six million Jews die. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Peter. And later in the movie, Jack has a dream where he, you know, attacks the family. Right. And then wakes up at the desk. Yep. But Peter, after this dream, the typewriter has changed color to a light blue. Really? Yep. Mm. Uh, which is a symbol of, you know, a cold hierarchical power. And again, if, if this was a mistake, I don't think Kubrick would have just made this mistake. No, it would be weird to have a prop switched they, out like they, that. They specifically changed the color of the typewriter. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Peter, now we're going to get to something that maybe you are more attuned with the soundtrack of, the Shining. Okay. This is another significant element to this theory because mm-hmm. two musical pieces are played throughout the movie. Uh, Bartok's music for strings, percussion, and Celesta, and Penderecki's The Awakening of Jakob. Now, Bartok was 
a staunch anti-Nazi Hungarian, composed this piece in 1936. And Kubrick particularly features a segment of it called The Night Music. And this was chosen, according to the theory, uh, because it represents anxiety towards Nazism. Because it has a very eerie tone, and it's entwined with its owners, mixed up with Nazism. Mm -hmm. And Penderecki is a Polish composer who experienced the Holocaust personally. Mm. And he said that its trauma influenced all of his compositions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Awakening of Jacob plays during the scene where blood pours out of the elevators. Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter, do you want to know what part of the nickname that this part of the song has? Let's play while the blood what? is pouring out. What is the, it? It's called the Auschwitz Ostario. Oh fuck! Yeah, because it was performed. <laughs> That's on the at, nose. It was performed at a ceremony in the concentration camp during the 1960s. Damn. Yeah. So again, this was chosen by uh, Kubrick to be played right during the scene where the spilling of blood happened. For whatever reason, yep. He did. He did choose this. Here in this shot. It took him three times to get the shot just how we liked it. Okay. And each shot seems like, like really nine difficult to weeks do. to get ready. Yeah. Yep. And he spent the almost the an entire year getting this shot to work. Yeah. So this 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 was his most important shot in the film. Was the <clears throat> was all the, the elevator blood? The, yep. Yeah, the blood coming out of the elevator. Uh, yeah, Peter. At the start of the movie. After Danny has his first vision of the elevator blood when mm-hmm. they before they get to the hotel. Yep. Uh there's a sticker of Dopey the Dwarf from you know from the, Snow White. Yep. On the bedroom door. And then he has the vision and it cuts back to the to looking at him through the open doorway. Mm-hmm. And Dopey's gone. Uh the sticker of Dopey is gone. Uh they removed it. Uh because, according to the theory, is that Danny has no idea about the world, and then, then he knows about the Holocaust. Okay. He's no longer a dope trying right. to communicate with all of us. Peter, what do you think of this theory? This one, I think the song, the the soundtrack part of yep. it, is fascinating and tracks for me. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, I, <laughs> it it's not... It's not very concrete, sure. which doesn't mean that it's not there, mm-hmm. right? There's no, were, no reason. There's nothing that makes me say that it. It. This I don't about think the it's that. Yep. Peter, those are the the big theories that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. That's. There's one more, Peter. Oh boy. That I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw this out here. I'm not even gonna talk about Perfect. it for very long. Perfect, Peter. Ullman goes out of his way to mention that there's no skiing at the hotel. That the, you know, it's not a skiing hotel. Right. Because it was built before skiing was a sport. It's right. all about the views and the vista. Yep. But Peter, there's a skiing poster 
in the dining hall when Danny first sees the twins when they're you know they're alive and he looks over and sees the twins in the dining hall. Is there now? It's on the back wall of the dining hall, and it has a man skiing, mm-hmm. and with a single large word underneath it. And that word is monarch. Monarch. You is know this, this t- is? I'd let me. I is this about how the Revolutionary War didn't happen? Are they Revolutionary no, War no, truthers? This- and we're actually <laughs> under the rule of Great Britain still here in America. That would, that would be great, but that's actually a theory that that's exists, my theory. and we'll talk about sometime in the future. Okay, it's not your theory; it exists, Peter. Well, it's my theory now. I just I Peter, just this owned it. symbol. This symbol is actually talking about Project Monarch, which okay. is a precursor to Gemini. Project MK Ultra. Oh. Oh. Uh, MK Ultra was built off of and create and followed Project, Project Monarch, Monarch, which we'll talk okay. about all in some time in the future. Yep, but I'm not going to get into that theory because it's not as interesting as the other ones to me. Yeah, but okay. This is the Shining Peter. Hmm? I there it we, is the musing on all of not even all we didn't. I'm not even going to discuss the backwards and forwards viewing of the Shining. Yeah, but this uh. I mean, I'll post some of those pictures on our Discord because it'll be fun to look at. Yeah. But the crux of the theory is that they overlap in some very, very interesting parts. Okay. Uh, that mean something if you see them overlapped. Sure. But we're again, we're an audio podcast. I'm not going to do so it's, show it's you. It's hard. We're not going to yep. sit here and describe a bunch <laughs> of images. It's not going to work well. But. What's your take on The Shining after 43 years, Peter? I I think it holds I think it's a really good movie. Would you ever watch it again? I probably would. I I'm I know I will watch it again, Peter. I'll, yeah. I'll watch this movie <laughs> probably a couple times a year. Nice. I'll probably watch it on Halloween. That's what I'll probably well, end up doing. Why not? But so I think I like to believe all this is true. I think Stanley Kubrick is probably one of the smartest men that ever lived. At least for symbology wise, mm-hmm. and I think the world's better if these theories are true. Yeah, I just I like mean, to believe it. That's kind of the whole point of the podcast, right? Yeah. Is in, indeed, it's absolutely. just more fun to believe in it. It's more fun to believe. <sighs> so, wonder to you tell us what you thought of what you think of The Shining at on our Discord, which we have the link in the episode description below. That we do. Uh, Come join, talk to us. We're we're fun people. If you liked us at all, contribute to our Patreon. Show us your support. A uh, couple dollars gets you free bonus episodes where we talk about fun mysteries. Yes, it does. Don't make it onto the, the main show. Uh, we have an email. Contact the known unknowns at gmail.com. Shoot us what you think of The Shining. Uh, we'll love to hear it. Uh, Peter, do you want to promote something of your own here? Why, yes, I do. I am in a band. We are called The Rangers. You can find us on probably whatever you're listening to this on. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, all that good stuff. Fantastic. Uh, But we just had an album come out. As you are hearing this, it will have been a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the time of recording this, it was one week ago. 
Peter, how would you describe the Rangers? Uh, we would say that we are a honky tonkin country rockin band. So go, go sure. ahead and check us out if you're into sort of honky tonk western music. Give it, give us a, give us a listen. See if you like it. Our and album is called Roll the Dice. Roll the Dice. And well, spooky season is over. And but we're gonna try to keep. Well, it's not over yet. Tomorrow it's over. Today, today, Halloween. Today's Halloween. Yep. After today, spooky season will be over. Yep. So, but we're gonna keep our spookiness in our heart, and we're gonna keep doing this podcast, and we'll hope to see you guys next week. If if you keep the spookiness in your heart, it's spooky season all year round. Tell all your friends about us. We would love to grow. We're really here for you guys. So. We'll see you next week. And that just we remember will. that if nothing, if Stanley Kubrick did nothing in The Shining, if none, of, if there's no hidden subtext, and it's just a schlocky haunted hotel <laughs> flick, gotta believe, gotta believe. In Still the gotta believe in the unknown. Gotta do All it. Right. Night, everybody. Have Bye a good everybody. day. Ha- happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Spooky season. Spooky season. Bye, everybody. Six, five, four, three.